there's this thing called chronocentrism where you think that the time you're living in right now is unique and so important mm -hmm. but the reality is it's not it's not that unique and it's not that important mm -hmm. it's just like what happened in 2018 and 2016 and 2015 whatever lot of lot of do this has happened so many times before and history shows us that when it happens it's a buying opportunity if you have time on your side mm -hmm. so long-term investors buy this dip it's the best thing you can be doing Welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis, and as always, pleased to be joined by investment analyst Luke Lango. Luke, I know that we we left last week off on a little bit of a cliffhanger as far as uh, Peloton and at home fitness, but I think that you you said you were going to get your tonal, and that and is that did you get it? Yep, the tonal arrived on Friday. Okay, and I have used it Friday. Okay, Saturday, Sunday. Monday and Tuesday. I am in love with this thing, Aaron. The tonal is is amazing. Well, you're looking fit, so that's that's well, obviously. Thank you, thank you Aaron. It's, it's the uh, yeah, it's a tonal. It's all the tonal. <laughs> Great. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, Hypergrowth Investing is a weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. Each week, we will take an in-depth look at emerging tech and investment innovations, electric vehicles, cryptocurrencies, the metaverse, and more. Nothing is off limits. We go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcast. So make sure to like and subscribe to get Hypergrowth Investing as soon as it goes up. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator and lifelong learner and your proxy into the mind that is the Luke Lango. Luke, I know we have a ton of topics that we want to cover today, so I just want to kind of dive right in. Basically, one of the things that's kind of in the media as a whole right now, the biggest thing, I think, is the, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, unfortunately. Um, what, how, what impact is that going to have on the market, what, the economy, all these kind of things moving forward when it yeah. comes to investors? Yeah, so... The Russian invasion of Ukraine is, in my, let me preface this by saying, in my opinion, it is mostly a non-event for the markets, but there is a risk that it becomes very, very, very bad. Okay. Because the thing here is that if Russia were to invade the Ukraine at any other point in time besides 2022, it would almost assuredly be a non-event for the markets. Maybe you get a two, three, four, five percent pullback in equities, followed by a sharp rebound. However, in 2022, inflation is red hot, and the U.S. Federal Reserve has made it their mission to combat that inflation. What the Russian invasion of Ukraine does is exacerbate perhaps temporarily, but exacerbates the current inflation situation. Mm -hmm. Because Russia is a massive exporter of oil and natural gas. Mm -hmm. They're a massive exporter of wheat. And they're a massive exporter of metals. When Russia invades Ukraine, the rest of the world throws sanctions on all of that supply, on all of those exports. And what, is, what does that mean to throw sanctions onto? Well, it's, it's going to make them prohibitively uh, expensive and or inaccessible in, in mm -hmm. most situations. So in this situation, it's going to make a lot of it inaccessible. 
So basically, you're taking a lot of the supply of those three major commodities and removing them from the market and or elevating their prices in the market. Mm -hmm. Now, what that does is it creates more commodity inflation. So you're seeing oil prices jump. You're seeing natural gas prices jump. You're seeing wheat prices jump. You're seeing metal prices jump. So you're seeing those jumps happen. So how much of a jump are we looking at with the with these commodities? Well, so it all depends on the size of the sanctions and the duration of the sanctions, mm -hmm. right? If the, the first round of sanctions that have come in appear to be less severe than what a lot of people had feared, and that's actually providing some support for the market. But if Russia's military actions grow bolder and bolder and bolder, the sanctions will grow bigger and bigger and bigger, and the duration of the sanctions will last longer. So if these sanctions do get really large, if they do last for a long time, they're going to cause meaningful jumps in commodity prices. Mm -hmm. And those meaningful jumps, we're talking probably 10, 20, 30% lifts in commodity prices and wheat prices and metal prices and oil, natural gas prices. That will turn inflation, which is red hot, but was starting to come down a little bit because mm -hmm. of supply chain improvements. It will accelerate, re-accelerate inflation. Re-accelerating inflation could get the Fed to think, hey, we need to act more quickly. And all of a sudden, what may be three or four rate hikes in 2022 turns into seven, eight, nine, or 10. And that is a situation where the U.S. economy will significantly struggle and the U.S. stock market will significantly struggle. Because remember, against the backdrop of all of this, the U.S. economy is slowing. Mm -hmm. And that was already happening yep. before this conflict. This conflict is not going to be a positive development for the U.S. economy. So you're going to get a slowing economy, more inflation, more rate hikes. That's a recipe for a disaster in, uh, in 2022 for, for stocks and for the U.S. economy. Now, I know that you, when, when you make these kinds of analysis, a lot of the times you like to look to the past to, you, again, when we talk about, you know, bubbles, you always kind of go back to the, the dot-com bubbles and, and to kind mm -hmm. of give a context for the explanations and the reasons why you are going into the things that you're going into. Do we have any kind of historical precedent for this type of conflict with the type of economy that we see and the type of market that we see right now? All these, like this convergence point of things coming together? Uh, so we've talked about it before that there have been dozens upon dozens of geopolitical conflicts over the past 50, 60 years. Normally they are non-events. They're run of the mill loss, average drawdown about 4%. You take out uh, attacks on, on home soil. You take out 9-11. You take out Pearl Harbor. You're talking about a 3% pullback over 20 days. Very tiny sell-offs normally as a result of these geopolitical events. But what you have right now is more than just a geopolitical event. You have a geopolitical event converging on other risks, which are red-hot inflation and, and a hawkish Fed. That creates a situation that's similar to the 1970s. The 1970s was an era of lost economic productivity because you had red-hot inflation as a result of surging oil prices and a Fed that was doing everything it could to fight that inflation by hiking rates and killing the economy. So you had a decade of stagflation, a decade of lost economic productivity and growth, and a decade of terrible stock market returns. That is the bear case for what happens here. Mm -hmm. That the Russia-Ukraine conflict is the catalyst for what sparks a decade of, of lost growth in the 2020s. That is the bear case, long-term bear case, what happens here. Now, the reason we don't think that will happen, because remember at the top of this call, I said, hey, I think it's a non-event, but there is a risk it, turn, it could turn into something really yeah. bad. 
we just talked about the risk of it turning into something really bad, but yeah. our base case remains that that something really bad will not materialize. And that's because we are in a very globalized economy where every country is dependent on every country. Every economy is dependent on every economy. Therefore, the sanctions that we put on Russia on uh, during this conflict mm -hmm. will not be significantly large, will not last very long, very much like the U.S.-China trade war in 2018, right? We had the U.S.-China trade war. We were trying to really put tariffs on them, really make things you know awful for their economy. But in turn, we were kind of shooting ourselves in the foot and our own economy, economy was slowing. Mm -hmm. So what happened is we pulled back on the tariffs. The Fed actually stopped hiking rates and went into a rate cut cycle because the economy was slowing domestically. So I think that what you get here is that if we get to a point where these sanctions do start to really hurt real economic demand, real consumer demand, they do start to meaningfully exacerbate the inflation situation. Mm -hmm. The governments of the world, the central banks of the world will pivot. The governments okay. will pivot to reducing sanctions. They will pivot to working something out with Russia, getting a diplomatic resolution here. Uh, the central banks will pivot to not hiking rates so aggressively in the face of a slowing economy to create a stagflation situation like the 1970s. Basically, if you have faith in the powers that be, governments and central banks, to support their own economies, mm -hmm. which you should, then this event will most likely result in a, or end up being a non-event for the market. It's going to create near-term turbulence, a great buying opportunity, preceded by what we believe will be a second half rally in stock. So our confidence in the stock market right now in this sell-off not turning into something nastier mm -hmm. is confidence in the U.S. Federal Reserve, the U.S. government, the ECB, mm -hmm. the Bank of England to figure out that, hey, we need to adjust policy to the current macroeconomic geopolitical climate and not be so blind to fight inflation. Mm -hmm. History says they will do that. We believe they will do that. The data says they're going to do that. So that's why we're taking the sell-off in stride and we're continuing to accumulate into our favorite positions mm -hmm. and believe that that puts us in a great position to benefit from a big second half rally in stocks. Mm -hmm. So for the people who don't have faith in what you're talking about, I'm sure that they're probably, again, the whole point of cryptocurrency is that and is to invest in something that's decentralized to kind of put your eggs in something that you have that they have faith in if you don't have faith in the governments you're going to put it into crypto but crypto is also kind of having its own kind of trends right now uh it seems to be you know it was up last week but now it's down again as of this morning if i'm correct um and it seems that it's following the trends of the market uh is there a correlation there if it is what is that correlation yeah, the crypto markets used to be uh, independent of the stock market, of the equity markets. Uh, that has completely gone away. That independence okay. has been eroded. The two are now tightly correlated. And that's because uh, the buyers of each market have become, have become homogenous. They've become similar. Mm -hmm. Before, the people that were, you know, in 2016, 2017, the people that were buying cryptos, that were buying Bitcoin, were not the folks that were buying stocks. But we're seeing institutions into the game. We're seeing hedge funds into the game. Mm -hmm. We're seeing smart money into the game. Those players with deep pockets that move markets are buying cryptos and stocks. 
So if they're buying stocks, they're probably buying cryptos. And if they're selling stocks, they're probably selling cryptos mm -hmm. too. The buying pool between the two markets has become homogenous mm -hmm. and therefore the two markets have become correlated. Long term, that's a good thing because it shows that there is now mainstream financial support for the crypto ecosystem. Unfortunately, this correlation has developed at a time when the stock market has decided to roll over because of Putin, because of inflation, because mm -hmm. of the Fed. So the correlation has just emerged at a really bad time. But long term, this correlation is healthy because it shows that deep pockets, big money, smart money is in the crypto space. And that's a good thing long term. So again, and we've touched on this before, but how does, again, somebody who doesn't have faith, who wants to invest in crypto when it is tied so closely to governments and, ec and economies that are that are focused around the markets, where are the opportunities for somebody to invest where they can feel like they're, if for somebody who doesn't have that trust, they have that disconnect from the market and are investing in something that they do feel passionate about, that they feel confident in? Yeah, I mean, you could follow, then you could go to further out on the risk curve in the crypto markets and go to smaller altcoins because those are less tightly correlated with the equity market simply mm -hmm. because it can go to the buyer pools. The buyer pools there are not homogenous. You're getting buyers there that are not the hedge funds, the mm -hmm. institutions, all that. So you give up some of that support, some of that risk stabilization, mm -hmm. but you get you know, less correlation. You get more idiosync idiosyncrasy there. So mm -hmm. uh, you could go farther out on the risk curve and do that. For example, in, in our ultimate crypto subscription service, uh, we've our portfolio, we had two cryptos that just, and I can't say the names of them here, <laughs> but we had two cryptos that over the weekend while Bitcoin was completely losing its shirt, mm -hmm. uh, just completely, you know, ripped off and mm -hmm. had massive, massive rallies. So there is definitely really good money still to be made in the crypto markets, even if trading remains choppy mm -hmm. in the interim. Um, you just have to be really smart about finding those projects that have idiosyncrasy and that are kind of doing their own thing. Now, important to know, what I do want to say here is that we're not bearish on the crypto markets by any stretch of imagination. Cryptos and stocks, we continue to believe mm -hmm. our base case thesis has always been and will continue to be the markets will remain choppy until the issues of the Fed and inflation are resolved. Mm -hmm. Once inflation decelerates meaningfully and once the Fed stops preaching this super hawkish go all in, again in the fight against inflation, mm -hmm. once those two things happen, then... Stocks are going to rebound with vigor. Mm -hmm. Crypto is going to rebound with vigor. Until then, everything that happens in the markets is just going to be a little blip up or a little blip down, including the Russia-Ukraine mm -hmm. situation. Everything is just going to be turbulent, yo, 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 until those two things get resolved. We continue to believe, despite the developments in Eastern Europe, mm -hmm. that those two things will get resolved favorably by the summer setting both stocks and cryptos up for a big second half rally, which is why, again, we view this period as the great accumulation period to accumulate your favorite assets at really dirt cheap prices. And the last point I'd like to make here on the macroeconomic front is that if you're a long-term investor, just buy and forget everything. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Set it because forget it. Just right now you, you are seeing bargain blockbuster prices on certain cryptos and on certain stocks in stocks and cryptos that have enormous long-term potential. Mm -hmm. Does that mean they won't go lower? 
No. They could absolutely go lower. If this Russia-Ukraine situation gets much worse, if it really exacerbates the inflation situation, if the Fed starts to hike super aggressively, then yes, you could see those stocks go a lot lower. But look out five years, look out seven years, mm -hmm. look out 10 years, put yourself in 2030, and you're going to look back at 2022 in this little situation we have today, and you'll be like, oh, why wasn't I buying the dip? <laughs> so if you have that time horizon, if you mm -hmm. have that long-term time horizon, that multi-year, I would say five-plus-year time horizon, then you absolutely, what you should be doing right now is buying, holding, and forgetting about the rest of the noise and the nonsense. Because you have to remember, there's this thing called chronocentrism, where mm -hmm. you think that the time you're living in right now is unique and so important. Mm -hmm. But the reality is it's not. It's mm -hmm. not that unique and it's not that important. Mm -hmm. It's just like what happened in 2018 and 2016 and 2015, whatever. A lot of a lot of do. This has happened so many times before. And history shows us that when it happens, it's a buying opportunity if you have time on your side. Mm -hmm. So long-term investors, buy this dip. It's the best thing you could be doing. Gotcha. And again, just to take a step back real quick, when you're talking about altcoins, you're not talking about meme coins. You're talking about coins that are backed by uh, infrastructure, by people, by management, people who have done the work to, to, to make these coins what they are, not necessarily just, again, hype. Yeah, you know, I mean, meme coins is a, it's a weird term, right? Because some meme coins are what you just said. Some mm -hmm. of them have great management teams, great developers. Some of them have great infrastructure. Some of them have great projects. Some of them don't. So you can't really carte blanche, just put this term over all those coins that are supported by memes and call mm -hmm. them meme coins. Because some of them are actually high quality altcoins and high quality projects. Some of them aren't. Mm -hmm. But yes, when I'm saying go out and look for altcoins that are farther out on the risk curve that have higher upside potential, I'm talking about finding coins that have certain strong fundamental criteria. Mm -hmm. uh, some meme coins meet that, others don't. Don't get fooled by the meme coin title. Look for those fundamental criteria. Look for a great development team. Mm -hmm. Look for a great management team. Look for a white paper that reads like it's just flawless, an academic powerhouse of a, of a paper. <laughs> Look for uh, a project that is going to, you can tangibly realize its value. And you're like, I see where they're going with this. I see the vision. I see why this would help my life, make my life cheaper, make my life faster, make mm -hmm. my life whatever it may be. Look for those, look for good tokenomics, find coins where insiders, the developers are holding a lot of the token because they believe in it. Look where there might be some buying, avoid ones that have selling, avoid ones where ownership, insider mm -hmm. ownership is low, right? Look for those things. If altcoins hit those criteria, now's a great time to be buying them. Got it. Uh, shifting gears a little bit. And again, we're, uh, it's still earnings season. Uh, I know there's a few stocks that you uh, kind of wanted to talk about. Uh, first one I kind of wanted to go over is uh, SoFi, uh, kind of what's going on with them. Uh, okay. I believe their earnings are supposed to come out on March 1st, um, but they've kind of been, there's some stuff that's been going on with them right now. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, what SoFi what SoFi's been up to? Yeah, so SoFi is a name we really like long term. We think they're building a uh, financial technology empire. They're the new bank. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a SoFi customer myself. Mm-hmm. There you go. SoFi it up. Boom. <laughs> um, so I am a SoFi customer. I really believe in what they're doing. I think that they're building a mobile, digitally native bank that is relevant to the consumer of the 21st century. Mm -hmm. It's all based on an app. 
It allows you to trade stocks and cryptos in there. It has a very relatable, understandable, and visual rewards point system for the credit card. Mm -hmm. It has uh, something called Relay where you can do budgeting and expense management. So it has all of this baked into one application. I absolutely love it. Everybody that I've turned on to the application, turned on to SoFi, absolutely loves it. Mm -hmm. So I think it is just, it's just the best banking solution today. The company obviously got a lot of attention during the Super Bowl because mm -hmm. of the SoFi stadiums where the Super Bowl was held. The LA Rams won the Super Bowl. SoFi Stadium is their home, their home stadium. So super bullish on the attention they got. If you just go to Google Trends mm -hmm. and look up SoFi and you type in SoFi as a topic and you see how many people are Googling SoFi, mm -hmm. you'll see that chart just, it's very pretty. Uh, it's up and to the right at a very, very healthy rate. I think that shows that consumers are searching for SoFi. Mm -hmm. They're interested in SoFi. They're downloading the SoFi app. They're opening SoFi accounts. I think the company is going to report great earnings. But that's not what this is about. It's not about what they're going to report here in the first quarter of 2022. What matters is what they're going to do over the next five, seven, ten years. And I think they're going to entirely redefine the banking system. Bye-bye, Wells Fargo. Bye-bye, Bank of America. Mm -hmm. SoFi is is the new bank. We honestly think that by 2025, 2027, 2030, we're talking 20, 30, 40 million accounts in this ecosystem. And if that does happen, then we think the stock could could easily go to $100, $200. I mean, it is way undervalued here and has enormous upside potential. And they just bought uh, Technosys in an all-stock deal for $1.1 billion? Yeah, so that's a banking infrastructure solution. Mm -hmm. I mean... It, the nitty gritty there doesn't really matter. Okay. What matters is that it shows they're building a an empire. Okay. They are going all in with building a financial tech empire that can do everything for the consumer. Mm -hmm. Well, from from loans to mortgages to trading crypto stocks to everything you could possibly imagine, they're trying to put that all into so one. It sounds like the Amazon one stop shop for banking. Yeah, basically. I mean, that's okay. that's a pretty good, pretty good example. I, I believe when I first came across the stock, the analysis I did propose was calling it the Amazon of finance. Okay, gotcha. I think the technology still holds today. They are the Amazon of finance. They're creating something that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, we're we're really bullish on on what they're building. We think that it's going to be a very very special product and a very very special company that's going to make shareholders a lot of money. But you got to be patient. It's one mm -hmm. of these names. You gotta buy it and forget it. It's a long-term holding. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of uh, turbulence in the market and negativity towards long-duration assets. Mm -hmm. Just forget it. Buy it, hold it, wait five years, put it in the coffee can. Mm -hmm. and you're gonna make a lot of money off this investment. Now you talk about how how SoFi's gonna be leaving, you know, Wells Fargo in the dust. Are there any other competitors with SoFi that's taking the innovations that they're taking? Oh, tons. The only one leading. Tons. Tons, 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 tons. Mm -hmm. There are, I mean, this is a very, very crowded space. You got okay. Cash App, Square has Cash App, mm -hmm. the, the the Mark Cuban-backed app, Dave. Mm -hmm. so there's a whole bunch of competitors in this space. The thing that we like about SoFi mm -hmm. is team. Okay. Their team is superb. From the C-suite to the engineers to the sales team, we've done our homework on the people that work there. Mm -hmm. And- Nobody else in the space has the talent that they do. Okay. They have built 
the most talented team to conquer this challenge. Okay. And that's what matters at this stage in the game. When you have a very competitive industry with mm-hmm. a lot of new competitors and a whole bunch of green space to grow, mm-hmm. a company that dominates all that green space is the company that executes the best. And the company that executes the best is the company with the best people that know how to execute. Mm -hmm. So far to us is that in the FinTech game. When you look across a competitive landscape of companies trying to build digitally native mobile app banking solutions, create the bank of the 21st century, Mm -hmm. nobody has the talent that SoFi does. And that talent's going to allow them to out-execute all of these other competitors and dominate all this green space to grow unseat Wells Fargo and Bank of America and become your favorite bank by 2025. Got it. Uh, next er, next up on earnings, Lucid. I know you and me are both love Lucid. Um, their earnings come out in less than a week. Uh, what are you looking for? Are you going to be looking at their revenue, their spending? What what what's, what should we be looking for in their in their earnings report? Yeah, so you want to, I mean, the biggest number is going to be deliveries. You want to see the deliveries are on track uh, for Q1. Remember mm-hmm. the target 3,000 deliveries for the full year of 2022. So you want to that they're on track with that in Q1. You want to make sure management reiterates that guidance. If they up that guidance, that would be fantastic. I doubt they're going to up it. 20,000 is an aggressive first year target for production. Mm-hmm. So they just maintain it and they're on track in Q1. That's going to be good. You're going to want to see spending be relatively mitigated. Spending for them is not a huge issue okay. because they raised a ton of money through their SPAC merger and they're backed by the uh, Saudi Public Investment Fund, which is the deepest pocketed fund on the planet. <laughs> and importantly, they haven't sold any shares, right? Okay, they yeah. could have profited. That SPAC has gone up significantly in price. They could have profited hugely and they didn't. Mm-hmm. They're staying put. They have their big position. So they're still back in the company. So spending is not a huge thing for them because liquidity is never going to be a problem for Lucid. Mm-hmm. But you still want to see them getting ROI on that spend. So you yeah. do want to see spending mitigated relative to the deliveries that they're that they're um, reporting. You want to see good progress on their production capacity. You want to continue to see them making uh, progress on increasing that production capacity. Because remember, this is not a story where they're going to hit 20,000 deliveries in 2022 and you're going to want them to deliver 20,000 cars per year thereafter. You want to see them go from 20 to 50 to 100 to 200 to 300. Mm-hmm. You want you want to get them to get up to a million deliveries a year. So you want to see the production capacity expansion continuing to progress favorably. And as far as Lucid's earnings are concerned, that's, those are the three things that I'm going to be looking for mostly. And I think that they're going to exceed expectations on all those things. I'm, I'm positive on the stock going into earnings. But again, back to SoFi, this is not a story that you play for earnings. It's a story you buy and hold for the long haul because mm-hmm. we're redefining transportation at a level that no one else is redefining it. And again, back to this, lots of competitors. Yep. Huge yeah, space easy. What about Lucid do we love? Mm-hmm. Their team is unprecedented. Yep. Okay. Relative, relative to even Tesla, relative to BMW, relative to Audi, relative to anybody else in the space, Lucid's team of electric vehicle engineers is unprecedented in the space. Mm-hmm. That's going to allow them to out-execute and allow them to capitalize on this huge growth opportunity ahead of them. So same story with, with SoFi, same story with Lucid. We love the teams there. We believe in the teams there to out-execute competitors and capitalize on huge growth opportunities ahead of them. Got it. Uh, ne- next on the list with earnings, Matterport. I know that you've, uh, you wrote a big article about that. Uh, what can yeah. you tell us about Matterport? Yeah, so they went, <laughs> it plunged. They absolutely got crushed on earnings last week. Yeah. Um, 
And reasonably so. I mean, the numbers were were terrible, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were really, really awful. Mm-hmm. This is supposed to be a hyper growth company. Yeah. Yet revenues are going to decline year over year next quarter. Mm-hmm. What's that all about? Yep. They were guiding for over $200 million in revenue for 2022 back when the SPAC merged. Mm-hmm. On the quarterly call, they're like, ah, 2022 is going to come in more like 130. That's mm-hmm. a huge miss, right? Like, yep. what's going on, guys? Your hyper growth trajectory is all of a sudden, it's falling flat. It's dying. Yep. So, what's mm-hmm. going on? Well, Management's chalking it all to supply chain issues. And okay. while that seems like an easy out, I think it's actually what's going on. Here. Okay. Right. The supply chain issues are the fact that. Now, before we get into the supply chain issues, for, for people who don't know, Matterport, Nate, uh, is. Oh. Yep. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Like, so, so, Matterport, uh, they, they, they specialize in a, hard, in a very specific type of camera, correct? That, that uh, can take pictures of a space. And then their software can render it into, again, the, the thing that you love about, you know, the the real estate game is the virtual home tours, making those as seamless as possible. Um, and uh, again, when we talk about supply chain issues, those cameras, when they are that specialized, that's where the the this plateau is happening, correct? Yeah. So I think the what's going on with Matterport is a couple things. One, the supply chain issues is making it hard for them to source components to make cameras. Okay. So they don't have enough supply to meet the demand. That's the first problem. Mm -hmm. The second problem is that the supply they are getting, they're paying a premium for. Okay. So that is eroding margins and really hurting the profitability of the company. And the third problem is that they've made their smartphone capture technology. So what you said is that they're all about selling cameras and then using their software to render the images from those cameras into uh, the built world is what they call it. Mm-hmm. But another part of their business is just using your smartphone camera to okay. capture locations. They've made those services, the smartphone capture services so good that it's cannibalizing demand for the cameras. Okay. So those are mostly supply chain issues with a, we actually did so well with something that we are hurting our other side of the business. Mm -hmm. So we're not too concerned about these issues because one, Matterport is a hardware software business, okay? Mm -hmm. The more software they can get and the less hardware they can get, actually the better for the business long-term because Mm -hmm. let's see, I wrote it down here. There are... The hardware is selling at 24% gross margins. The subscription software is selling at 77% gross margins. So you're mm-hmm. talking 2080, basically. Mm-hmm. You want more of that 80% and less of that 20% because that means an overall greater gross margin profile for the business and greater profits uh, from the revenues you generate. Mm-hmm. So we think that actually the best situation long-term for Matterport is the smartphone capture services. That technology becomes so good mm-hmm that they never have to sell a camera again. Mm-hmm. The cameras just go bye-bye. We yep. never sell cameras again. That 20% gross margin part of our business is gone. And we just sell 100% software revenues, annually recurring subscription revenues at 80% gross margin. So is this is the supply chain issue kind of a blessing in disguise for, for Matterport? Well, long-term, maybe. Now, in okay. the near term, you need that camera business to bounce back. Because okay. a, the smartphone capture services are not good enough to fully replace the cameras and you need okay. the camera. And B, the camera business is a big part of the business today. So okay. you need that camera business to bounce back. 
We think the camera business will bounce back. We've mm -hmm. said forever and ever and ever. We do believe supply chain issues will resolve themselves in 2022. Once they do resolve themselves, we think the Matterport turns back into a hyper-growth company. That product side of the business starts to grow very quickly again, and the whole business starts to grow very quickly again. So what you have to remember is that although the business has started to slow dramatically, that slowdown is entirely driven by the hardware side of the business mm -hmm. and the software side of the business is still firing on all cylinders. So it's all supply chain related with the products. Mm -hmm. Once that gets fixed, this whole company is going to start firing on all cylinders again and the stock's going to work incredibly well from these levels because at these levels, it is very, very cheap relative to the huge opportunity um, in front of it. And so we do think that from where the stock is today over the next 12, actually six to 12 months, you could easily see the stock double, if not triple. We think a run back to $14, $15 levels is very likely. A run back to 20 is also likely as supply chain issues improve throughout 2022. Mm -hmm. Now, does the we, last week we talked a little bit about the housing market. Does that have an impact on Matterport as a whole with the demand for the yeah, software? I mean, yeah, sure, sure it does because mm -hmm. Redfin is, is one of their major customers and you know the, a lot of the uh, applications of its technology today is in the real estate market. Mm -hmm. And that real estate market appears to be doing just fine. We got mm -hmm. some home price data this morning that was above expectations. We got home sales data for January. That was pretty good. Builder confidence is slipping a little bit, but it's still very strong. Uh, overall, we're seeing still pretty good data in the housing market. Mm -hmm. I told you before, I think that continues for the foreseeable future. Yeah. As long as it does continue for the foreseeable future, then yeah, that's going to be a tailwind for Matterport's business. And are there any other sectors that Matterport can benefit from to kind of bring them up? Um, well, I mean, they're all over the map. Okay. Gym is using them, hospitality is using them, okay. leisure is using them. So they're, they have a broad set of customers, mm -hmm. which I think is good. That diversity is good because they're not over-reliant on the housing industry or over-reliant on the hospitality industry. They have growth drivers all over the place. And Got so it. they can pull those levers at any point they want if one of the levers starts to slow, mm -hmm. pull this a little bit more. So I think that diversity is what gives them a pretty solid uh, growth foundation for 2022. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So we, we also talked about meme coins before, but I kind of want to get into meme stocks. Uh, kind of one of the biggest ones right now is Truth Social. Uh, again, it had a huge SPAC merger. It was the talk of going to be the next social media uh, brand. It has since, I don't even remember it even launching, let alone getting a point to fail. Um, I, I think the biggest question that I have when it comes to how, how do we disseminate from hype and momentum from just the fundamentals of what makes a good investment? Yeah, well, uh, Truth Social has, has pretty good fundamentals. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the report that came out this morning was the 170,000 app downloads uh, from the Apple App Store mm -hmm. uh, for Truth Social. Okay. That's a pretty big number. Mm -hmm. I, I do, there's a huge population out there, a huge chunk of the population that distrust Facebook, that distrust the current social media landscape, mm -hmm. that wants something new, that wants change, that wants a lack of censorship. Mm -hmm. um, and that chunk of the population is going to use, adopt truth social. So mm -hmm. I think there are there's a solid story there. Okay. There are solid fundamentals. Whether or not they execute 
That remains to be seen. And it, but there's definitely an opportunity for Truth Social to become a very big platform. And mm-hmm. I think it's yet another reason to be cautious on Meta on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Because the, pe- the exodus that happens here is not out of Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the 15 to 30 year old demographic does not give two flying feet <laughs> about what the heck is going on with Facebook censorship and a lot of, a lot of mm-hmm. They're on Snapchat. They're sending selfies. They're having fun. They're watching silly content. Yeah. It's cool. Uh, TikTok, same stuff, mm-hmm. right? We're on there. We're watching silly content. It's fun. It's quick consumption videos. A lot of, a lot of do. Pinterest. Pinterest is, I mean, there is literally like no, I don't think Pinterest has been in any uh, political, negative political headlines over the mm-hmm. past two years or three years. Yep. But you know who's been engulfed in them is Facebook mm-hmm. and Twitter. Yep. So the exodus that happens here is out of Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's not out of Snapchat or Pinterest um, or TikTok. It's out of Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Well, if Truth Social does become a success, Mm-hmm. Again, a big if. There's a lot if, of execution yeah. risk there. But unquestionably, the demand is there. So if the execution is strong, mm-hmm. then yes, it will be a big thing. If Truth Social becomes a big thing, then that is a materially negative development for Facebook because I think it's the users that the that power Truth Social are going to be coming out of Facebook mm-hmm. uh, are going to be coming out of Twitter. And mm-hmm. so I think that, you know, that's another reason to be cautious on Facebook stock and even on Twitter stock to an extent. But... I don't think it's any concern for the Snapchats of the world, the mm-hmm. Pinterest of the world, the um, TikToks of the world. I think those apps continue to perform very strongly because thus far they've remained politically independent, basically, mm-hmm. for the most part. And therefore, they're going to be shielded from the risk of a politically motivated exodus out of big social media platforms. So again, but from an investment standpoint, again, Truth Social sounds good because it's, it has this there's that demand that you're talking about from the consumer standpoint. But again, mm-hmm. the thing that you look for is you look at the, the, the team that's building it, the, what is it actually promising? Is it delivering on those promises? Right. Is truth social something that would be, a, that's worthy of that kind of investment from that standpoint? Uh, Aaron, again, last week I told you, I don't like to comment on things. I'm not super knowledgeable. On, sure. And I'm mm-hmm. going to, say at this point in time, I have not, I do a deep dive on all the companies we talk about. Sure. I know yep. the teams inside and out. I know the technologies yep. inside and out. Mm-hmm. I know their business models inside and out. I do not know that about Truth Social. Gotcha. I'm aware of what's going on. I'm aware of the product they're building. I'm aware mm-hmm. of the team, but I have not done a deep dive across the board to give you an informed opinion sure. on what is happening there, whether or not they have what it takes to execute on the vision. Mm-hmm. Perhaps I should. Perhaps I will get into that. And I, I might. Maybe we'll talk about it more next week. But at this point in time, mm-hmm. I can't give our, our listeners or our viewers uh, a very solid answer as to well, truth social execute on becoming a major social media platform. Mm-hmm. I don't know at this point in time. Gotcha. I, and again, I think it's it just it, and the plethora of things that are coming out in the hyper growth sector, in the meme stock sector. I think that's good. It's good that we can talk about these things and say, hey, we don't know, but we're going to find out and we're going to take a look at it and well, see what's going I, I on. This goes back to your original question, yeah. which is how do you separate the hype from the fundamentals? That's how I do it. Okay. Like I'm not looking at the story and saying, good story, buy the stock. It's going to yeah. be a winner. I look at the story, mm-hmm. good story, cool. Checks the first box, next box. Let's look at the team developing mm-hmm. this project, this product, this application. 
do they have what it takes to execute on that story mm -hmm. to bring their vision to life? If they do, check. Okay, let's look at the actual technology powering this mm -hmm. story, powering this vision. Are there patents surrounding it? Are there good trade secrets? <laughs> secrets, sorry. Are there good <laughs> trade secrets? How yeah. hard is it to make? What is the moat around the technology? What are the capabilities of the platform? Mm -hmm. Are all those are good? Check. Let's move on. Okay. What's the, the competitive landscape look mm -hmm. like? How many people are trying to do what they're doing? If mm -hmm. they do what they do successfully, can other people replicate it? Um, how much funding do they have behind them? Right? Who is behind them? What are the backers? Do those backers have deep pockets? Mm -hmm. All those are good. Okay. Check. Let's move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. So this is the sort of checklist I go through with all these things. And only once after a company has checked off all of my boxes mm -hmm. and I am confident that this is a company with a great team mm -hmm. that can execute on a big vision that has technological capabilities that are hard to replicate and very defensible mm -hmm. and create a product that tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of people will use at scale and importantly mm -hmm. if they can turn all that scale into huge profits via a very profitable high gross margin business model if and only if it checks off all those boxes, do I say this is a great investment? Mm -hmm. So that's how you separate the hype from the fundamentally strong companies. You have to do the work. You have to do your due diligence. Only then can you really separate what is a good story from mm -hmm. a good spot. Got it. Um, well, switching gears a little bit, and I think this will, this will, we have one really good question, and I think it's going to spur a pretty decent conversation of not just the question, but other things that it can lead into but rob norman asks uh do you think meta will acquire roblox ah and not really? only and again my follow-up to that is not only will meta acquire roblox but we talk you talk a lot about some of the meta coins some of the other metaverse technologies is meta gonna just start buying up these companies but <laughs> roblox first specifically and that, that's, that's in Meta's playbook, isn't it? Right? Yeah. Uh, Facebook has a history of just buying things. Mm -hmm. They bought WhatsApp. They bought Instagram. Yep. They, that's how they built their empire is through mm -hmm. acquisitions. Roblox acquisition, definitely in the cards. Absolutely okay. in the cards. Mm -hmm. Maybe even a Matterport acquisition. Okay. That could be in the cards. Mm -hmm. Because Meta and Facebook and Matterport have, I'm sorry, I, I can't call them meta. It just feels so weird. <laughs> it's still Facebook. It's still Facebook right now. Until, so until they make that meta play. Fa Facebook and, and Matterport have a partnership mm -hmm. that was established in 2021 okay. for uh, academic purposes to mm -hmm. develop kind of uh, virtual replicas of the real world. So okay. yes, are there potential acquisitions in Facebook's future mm -hmm. uh, in the metaverse? Absolutely. Will it be Roblox? Will it be Matterport? I'd say Matterport has a higher chance of getting acquired by Facebook than Roblox. Mm -hmm. But I think both have decent chances. I wouldn't <laughs> bet on it. Like I wouldn't yeah. say I'm buying Roblox stock because I think it's going to get acquired yeah. by Facebook. Or I am buying Matterport stock because I think it's going to be acquired by Facebook. But in the wheelhouse of reasons to buy it, mm -hmm. it could definitely have a have a slot, have a piece there. So I think that there is definitely a good chance Facebook makes multiple splashy acquisitions to accelerate their metaverse development, especially because they have so much cash on the balance sheet mm -hmm. and because the competitive landscape in the metaverse is getting pretty intense. It's getting mm -hmm. pretty crowded up there. So acquisitions may be a way for them to differentiate themselves.
So what does that look like then? If if Facebook starts buying up all these smaller companies that are invested in the metaverse, mm-hmm. and again, one of the things that I think the themes that we've talked about when we talk about the metaverse is that, you know, yes, Facebook has rebranded themselves as meta. They they want to be the leader in the metaverse space, mm-hmm. but where they stand right now versus where other companies that are invested in the metaverse right now and what they're doing aren't quite aligned. If they start buying those buying up those smaller companies that are closer aligned to what we envision the metaverse to be, then what does that make? What does that make Facebook slash meta look like five, 10 years down the road? Well, it changes the calculus entirely. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, Facebook was dead until Facebook bought Instagram. Mm-hmm. And that gave the company a, another 10 years of life. Mm-hmm. Facebook could be dead now mm-hmm. until Facebook buys Roblox okay. or until Facebook buys Matterport. That could give the company another 10 uh, years of runway. Mm-hmm. So I think what you have to understand is that Facebook, as it's currently positioned, mm-hmm. does not look likely to become a metaverse winner mm-hmm. or rather to become the biggest metaverse company, mm-hmm. especially if Microsoft's acquisition of Activision goes through. Mm-hmm. If that acquisition goes through, that company is in the leadership position for the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Far. But if that acquisition does go through, then that significantly increases the likelihood that Facebook makes a splashy acquisition here, mm-hmm. that Google makes a splashy acquisition here, that Amazon makes a splashy acquisition here. If the Microsoft Activision acquisition goes through, mm-hmm. man, that's a twister, isn't it? <laughs> if the Microsoft Activision acquisition goes through, mm-hmm. then you will see a string of M&A throughout the metaverse space, and that will benefit the smaller pure plays that we've talked about so far. Roblox, Matterport, so on and so forth. Unity software could be thrown in that mix too. Mm-hmm. Well, as always, Luke, great insights. Uh, again, I know that I learn everything every week from you. Our listeners, I'm sure, have been we've been getting great feedback. Uh, they've been learning a lot too, and I'm sure everybody's getting everything they can out of the conversations that we have. Um, any last words before we wrap this week, aside from the fact that you're about to hit your tonal? Yeah, dude, I'm about to just going to get in the gym right now and get a workout. No, I'm not. No, I work out in the mornings, early, <laughs> early in the mornings, you know, cause on the West coast markets open at six 30. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get, get a workout in before, you know, things start, start rolling, you gotta get up at four 30 or five. So that's, that's the grind we're on over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening. Please. If you have any questions or comments for Luke, uh, leave them in our comment section. We love to hear your feedback and the topics you'd like us to cover. Uh, and see, again, to see if we can answer any of your burning questions, like if Meta might acquire Roblox. Until then, please don't forget to like and subscribe, and we will see you next week. Bye, all. <laughs>